0: Joyce Tapley, as the CEO of a multi million dollar healthcare center, is a proven thought leader on matters of public health. We created this podcast because it's time for a real discussion about the state of healthcare in our nation. Welcome to a new episode of Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. Welcome to the Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley, and I am your host, Joyce Tapley. I am pleased to welcome my longtime friend, Dr. Eduardo Sanchez. Let's talk about your personal journey. Your background from Boston University to Duke University must have been an adventure. Can you talk a little bit about that or a lot about that?
1: Sure. I'd say that adventure started long before I was going to Boston University. I am a first-generation U.S. citizen. My parents were born and raised in the Dominican Republic, and they ended up in the United States trying to escape a government that was not good for them and good for the country. And I had the great privilege of not only growing up in the United States, but also spending all the summers of my life in the Dominican Republic with my grandparents and with my cousins. And I feel I'm very American, but I understand my connection back to this place that my parents are from. I grew up the formative years of my life in Corpus Christi, Texas, a city that race, ethnicity, demographic at the time was approximately 45% Latino, 45% white persons, and about 10% black persons. Went to a high school that was probably as representative of the full socio-demographic profile of that city as it could possibly be from race-ethnicity perspective, from an income-at-all-levels perspective, which helped me kind of appreciate diversity in all its dimensions. I'd be lying or I'd be not representing the truth if I didn't say, as a Latino growing up in the 70s, I experienced racism. And actually, there's a story my mother tells that I didn't even know until I was in my 50s. About my mother going to the school and confronting racism. And there's so many of us who are where we are in our stations in life who don't even know the battles that our parents and others fought on our behalf. And so I am where I am because of my parents. I am where I am because of other guardian angels along the way. I was pretty good at math and I was pretty good at science. I got interested in that and, uh, I got a full ride to go to Boston University, which was an interesting place to go. I was in Boston, Massachusetts. By now, it's the late 70s, early 80s. That was not exactly a bastion of harmony, and I experienced some racism there as well. But all along the way, um, allies and people who I could count on and places where I could focus my attention, academics was one of them. My relationships with other people was another one. And learning a little bit more about the historical legacy of Latinos and African Americans was another part of my formulation, not formal formulation in Boston. Then I had the opportunity to go to Duke University, which was, from my perspective, an interesting experience. It's sort of a biracial instead of a multiracial kind of a place, at least when I was there. I could feel that as a person who. Came up in a city where having the name of Eduardo Sanchez and looking the way I did didn't call attention to me at all. That was not so much the case at Duke University, but I got a great education. I have a degree in biomedical engineering. You might say, Joyce, the question might be, how'd you go from biomedical engineering to medicine? And I would say, I, I said earlier, I was pretty good at math and science, and biomedical engineering was a place where I could sort of concentrate those skills and succeed. And I I did pretty well in college, and I did pretty well at Duke University. But what I learned from engineering was the value of systematization and the value of standardization, and I think in a systems kind of way. But I decided that is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I'd had an inkling that maybe medicine was the way to go. And so I did apply to medical school. I got into UT Southwestern in Dallas, Texas. I got a great education there. But while I was there, I began thinking about this taking care of people one by one and learning how to do it. And that thought continued in residency is really great. And I can't describe the visceral satisfaction, the satisfaction in your soul of knowing when you go home after you took care of patients that there was one or two or three people who you absolutely changed their life course. And it happened on a, it happened. But I did think there might be a a more efficient way, a more kind of impactful way to do this. One by one, really important. But I started thinking about populations and I became interested in public health. And so the other thing that you didn't mention, but I spent five years as the director of the state's health department in Texas, where I had 23 million patients that I was charged along with the 4,500 at the beginning to 11,500 at the end colleagues to take care of the health of people in Texas. That helped me think, and I still have that thinking about how do you do things on a population basis? And the truth is, Joyce, federally qualified health centers are both individual care facilities, but they are population health facilities as well. So y'all adopt certain ways to get things done, tracking against making sure that those things are done so that for all the patients that are being served, vaccination levels are tracked, hypertension control levels are tracked, colorectal cancer, cervical cancer, breast cancer screening is tracked. So the care is delivered individually, but it's being monitored on a population level. You can hear it in my voice. I still get excited about this place where these two things come together. And that's how my career has taken me to each next step because it's an opportunity to dive into another way of doing this interconnection between individual care and population health slash public health. That's phenomenal.
0: And I appreciate you even, you know, giving another plug because in reality, yes, we do. We are trying to be consistent with everybody who comes in and we're taking care of communities of people. So I am glad that uh, we're being recognized in that way. But it is nice to be sitting in a room with someone who has made an impact on individuals as well as the state communities and throughout the entire state. So thank you very much for sharing that journey. So earlier in our show, I asked about, you know, giving some symptoms of things. But I think that it would be better, like you said, is let's talk about prevention and what are specific solutions are opportunities and options for people to take. In order to prevent things and at some point I'd like for us to talk about even my family that has a history of cancer and diabetes and hypertension and heart disease and all those things so if you can talk some about what people can do
1: absolutely the American Heart Association I'd say about 15 years ago pivoted from messaging around disease prevention to messaging around health promotion which is just a more wholesome way of thinking about things, right? Yes. And so when it went to health promotion, looked around to see who's defined cardiovascular health. It turned out no one had. I mean, the American Heart Association and American Heart Association manner brought some experts together who looked at how to define cardiovascular health, came up with a construct called Life Simple 7 that has been updated, and I'm going to focus on the update, has been updated to be Life's Essential 8. And I've talked about all of these already, but I'm going to mention them again because it's just important to know there's a couple of things about it. One, at an individual level, if these are things that you can do, that's great. At a community and societal level, if these are things we can help people accomplish, that's great as well. And if we have time, I'll talk about kind of the different aspects of that. Life's essentially revolve around four behaviors and four conditions. The four behaviors are smoking, eating, physical activity, and sleep. If you can be good on all of those things, and good on smoking is don't do it, good on eating is I would say wherever you are, if you could eat more fruits and vegetables and move away from heavy meat-related protein, any step you take is a step towards better cardiovascular health. And Physical activity, if you're not moving, move. And if you move for five minutes a day when you were moving none, that's good. If you're moving 10 minutes a day compared to five, that's good. The recommendation, the official recommendation is 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity per week. Let's break that down. 150 minutes is about 30 30 minutes, minutes five days a week. And moderate to vigorous physical activity, if you're wondering, well, how do you know that? If you can walk three miles in one hour, that's 20 minutes a mile. I think that's right. 20 times three, that's a moderate to vigorous pace. And if you can do four miles in one hour, you're more on the vigorous side of that continuum than on the moderate. And if you just break that down in half and do that for 30 minutes, moderate to vigorous physical activity. And on sleep, the recommendation is get seven to nine hours of sleep. That's the behaviors. On the condition side, That would be obesity, hypertension, hypercholesterolemia, and diabetes. Now, I talked about diseases, and I want to be clear. So, obesity is weighing more than you should. Hypertension is having higher blood pressure than you should. Hypercholesterolemia is having higher cholesterol or other of the fats in your blood higher than they should be. And diabetes is having higher blood sugar than it should be. If you've already got those things, controlling them is good. And the truth is those four behaviors that I talked about before, if you don't have either any of those four conditions, the four behaviors can help you prevent yourself from ever getting them. Then on a societal level around those life's essential essentially, we live in a city in Dallas, Texas, where we have an indoor smoking ordinance. We don't have to worry about being exposed to smoke when we go to a restaurant or go to right. a meeting indoors. That's a way that you can help people who have been told by their doctor, maybe you ought to quit smoking to be able to succeed because we know that triggers matter. If you're around people who are smoking and you're trying to quit, it's really hard to quit. Around physical activity, I would say one of the things that would be of value is having places where people can safely recreate, whether that's doing that walking I'm talking about or go to one of the rec centers that we have around town. Or if people have a little bit of cash, joining the fitness clubs that are available at different levels of socioeconomic levels. And then healthy eating it's doing what one can to eat a diet that's heavy with fruits and vegetables, what are called mixed carbohydrates, would be whole wheat bread as opposed to white bread, that includes what we call legumes and seeds, that would be nuts and beans. Really good. Those are great sources of protein that are not meat. And I'm not saying don't eat meat. I'm just saying eat more of that other stuff and maybe a little less meat. That will get you on the path to better. And how do we do that on a societal level? We try to make sure that supermarkets are available in more places than they are and that food is affordable. And one of the things that we can do, I'm a believer that health literacy is more than just understanding what your doctor says, is more than understanding what the pharmacy label says. It's being able to walk into a supermarket with X amount of money and walk out with the healthiest basket of food you could have for the money that you got. Rice and beans, really great sources of protein, the two combined. And there are ways to stretch the dollar a little bit. And I'm saying that and I'm trying to be a sensitive to the fact that we're living in a time where eggs cost more than they did oh a my year gosh, ago. yes. Everything costs more. But that's everything costs more. So there are ways to stretch that dollar. And we talked also about whether it's SNAP and using SNAP to buy healthier foods. We didn't mention SNAP, but I will. SNAP, what is that? That's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Some people call it food stamps. I don't like to use that term because that has connotations for some who use it. So I try not to use it. But also the programs that serve our young people free and reduced lunch in schools really 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 important and we live in a city where i believe the statistic is that 90% of students in Dallas Independent School District are eligible for free and reduced lunch and ladies and gentlemen that is an essential place a for that nutrition to be available but to do what we need to do to make sure that the foods that are being served are healthy and are tasty because that's a combination, right? Sometimes it's healthy, but man, it doesn't taste too good. So healthy and tasty is the killer combination. No, is the life-preserving combination, let me not use killer combination, not a good metaphor.
0: I'm glad you went through those eight because we probably heard them in different ways, but we don't necessarily know what it means. But I can tell you, as long as I've lived with high cholesterol, even though it's controlled with medicine now, and diabetes, even though it's controlled with medicine, and then I have other conditions related to my thyroid. But those are all conditions that, you know, some people can prevent. I don't know what I could have done differently, and I'm saying that. But I think that the suggestions that you made about the smoking or no smoking and getting a lot more rest, I didn't get any rest, three, four hours, being a mother and working and all of that, a a wife and all of that. So you are saying some simple making some simple solutions that are going to be difficult for folks. But if they keep being reminded of those changes, I would imagine if people, as they adjust each one of them, they will be able to meet those goals that you're talking about. And I think it's very good that everyone has heard that.
1: And Joyce, one more thing is that you have told folks that are listening that you have high cholesterol and you have type 2 diabetes. It it is type 2?
0: Type 2, So
1: I would say to you, the degree to which you can control it with less medications rather than more is the degree to which on those healthy behaviors, you are able to get closer to the recommended eating Mm -hmm. pattern, the recommended physical activity, et cetera, and so on. It makes a difference no matter what. If you've had a stroke, life's essential eight is the thing that's going to keep you healthier for longer. And one more thing, when you are good on your cardiovascular health... You are good on your metabolic health, so the likelihood of diabetes goes down. You are good on your brain health, the likelihood of what's called cognitive decline, which is a fancy way of saying you're starting to get dementia, you're starting to not think as well as you can. You can delay it or prevent it by being good on cardiovascular health. The degree to which you might have a depressive episode and it might last a long time is lessened. So there are benefits beyond cardiovascular health to being good on life's essential eight. Good point. And so it's good a good place. It may not be enough, but it's a good place to start.
0: You know, I appreciate you saying that, too. I mean, every time I have a discussion with you, I'm always learning something new. So I appreciate that. So now we'd like to go to a break. For everyone who's listening, please stay around because we'll be back in a little bit. Thank you. Inspire Art Dallas uses advocacy, fundraising, and public events to encourage the flourishing of the City of Dallas Public Art Program and to enrich public art experiences for residents and visitors to the City of Dallas. I'm Kay Kalos, Public Art Program Manager for the City of Dallas Office of Arts and Culture. Kaya, and I'm almost a teenager. I have a real problem. My daddy and my grandfather love pie. For my daddy, it's apple. For my poppy, it's anything lemon. But they won't bring me any pie. I don't think that's fair. They always go to Judy Pie on Main Street in Grapevine, where Miss Judy and her bakers make 20 different kinds of pies and cinnamon rolls on the weekend. But I don't get any. They tell me I can have pie when I'm a teenager, like pie is only for grown-ups or something. Can someone please call my daddy and my poppy and tell them I need pie? In the meantime, you can go to judypie.com or if you're in Grapevine, Texas, visit Judy Pie on Main Street. And if my daddy or my poppy are there, tell them that Kaya wants a piece of pie. Welcome back, audience. You are listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley, and I have my special guest, Dr. Eduardo Sanchez. How do we. Encourage and reach the Generation Z and the millennials as it relates to improving healthcare outcomes.
1: I like to say we uh, meet people where they are. So I learned this during COVID. I was asked so many times about when we were first saying that there were groups of people that didn't want to get vaccinated. And then what we did figure out, and initially that was, well, Black people don't want to get vaccinated, Latino people don't want to get vaccinated. And my message was, you know what? We're not messaging with the right message or the right messengers. And so I think that when it comes to any generation or any group, we got to step back a second and say, who's delivering the messages? What are the messages that are being delivered? And what are the means by which we are delivering those messages? So we need to look at all three of those things and get smarter about how we're doing that. The other is not only social media, but where are the places where messaging can happen because you take advantage of the fact that they're there. And whether that's the workplace or places where people do recreation, beginning to figure out where are those folks showing up to deliver those messages? And how do we package the messages in a way that it doesn't come off as just being a thing you throw in the trash, figuratively
0: speaking? That's very true. Yes, that's true. Well, I know that we want to talk a little bit about my father. So if you want to go and talk about that, I'd like to, and then we'll have, you know, if you have some other last words after we talk about
1: Absolutely. So I'll just say, Joyce, that, you know, one of the times that you and I were chatting here in the relatively recent history, you shared with me that your father had had a stroke. And um, we've been chatting about how your father is doing for a while. And one can't change what happened, but one can change what will happen not only in the course that your father is on, but also for others who might hear this. And I think that it's heart month, it's Black History Month, and there's some things that are worth pointing out. And we started early on about the state of cardiovascular health. Cardiovascular disease and stroke are more likely to kill black people in this country than they are to kill other groups of people. i am just be real blunt and frank about it. And that's just unacceptable. It's unacceptable. And there's some things that might be contributing to that. I'd say structural racism and racism contributes to that. But there's some, maybe some controllable issues. And one of those is high blood pressure, for sure. Black persons in this country have a higher prevalence of high blood pressure that's not controlled than other groups. And the opportunity to nip in the bud the trajectory of people having heart attacks, strokes, and heart failure that could have been prevented is just so critically important to remember. And I talked about mortality, that is a heart attack or a stroke killing you. A stroke is one of the leading causes. It's either number one or number two cause of disability in this country. So people who have a stroke are left with some, even if they live, they too often, even if it's just a little bit, too often are left with having to live life differently than they were living life before, again, life's essential eight makes a difference. But even doing life's essential eight becomes a bit more challenging if you have weakness in a part of your body or you can't communicate as effectively as you could before. And so I couldn't help but think that this is an opportunity, Joyce, for you to talk a little bit about your father's journey, just as a reminder to all of us that going forward, there might be some things to pay attention to and do something about.
0: And I'm going to say two things. One, my father uh, was 84, getting ready to turn 85. He had a stroke last year. He was in pretty good condition. He golfed on a regular basis. He's 6'2", weighing about 180 pounds. Now he's lost about 40 pounds since his stroke, and it's gotten worse. But he was someone that we had to constantly remind to go to the doctor. He would take his medicines. He didn't smoke, never smoked, but he, it happened to him. And so he's tried to do all that he can to get better over time and make changes. But I'll say the other thing that has touched me even more, we know that my father, he's been around a long time. He's had a chance to enjoy his life. My brother enjoyed his life up until last year in June, where he died and he had heart problems, was not able to manage his blood pressure. He was 56 years old and he wasn't a smoker, but he didn't exercise as much as he needed to and didn't get a lot of sleep because he did a lot of working. We don't know when our time is going to come, but we do know, given that we've had a history of all of the different types of conditions in our family, the prevention part is still something we all have to work on. And I don't want to see any more black men have strokes and die, or, or white men, or uh, Latinos, or Latinas. I'm glad that you're on the show so that you can share what we can do to prevent a lot of conditions that we don't really necessarily have to have. I think that our still focusing on cardiovascular disease is important, just like everything else, diabetes and trying to prevent cancers and things. We just need to take every day as a day that's we have an opportunity to change our life and our lifestyle. And I'm hoping that this podcast is a way for people to start remembering things that they can do differently. It is not the end of the world because you may not be at the weight you want to be at or your condition is not in control, but we can make changes. And it's up to us to do that, each and every one of us. And the more we have other people to support us, I think it makes it a little bit easier. So, I mean, I appreciate you letting me share a little bit about my father and my brother, but I also just want to know, do you have some other topics or ideas or statements you want to make before we end?
1: Two things that come to mind. Sure. Our time will come, but God gave us the skills and the intellect to be on the planet for as long as possible because it is about your father's 84, but you were telling me earlier he may have lost some weight, he may be a little bit more frail, but he can still tell a good joke (laughs) and and he still likes to chat. And so there's value to you and there's value to anyone that he's around. And we got to remember that. That's one thing. And then, as you were talking, there's one thing that I just want to say right now. I mentioned earlier, I'm a man. I don't think there's any surprise there. but And that we are, you know, men and women are slightly different. Getting blood pressure under control in men is a real challenge. And one of those challenges for both sexes is the, both the perception and the experience of side effects. And in men, one of those side effects that sometimes gets in the way is, this medication's affecting my manhood. Don't want to be explicit about that. That's about, you know, relationships with other folks, sexual relationships. And I would say in some instances, that's very real. And it's so real that rather than not take your medication, go have a conversation with your doctor and find the medication that lowers your blood pressure and doesn't affect your manhood, because then you can be around for longer for all those people who love you and all those people you love. And If there's one myth, I'd like to just, it's not a myth. I just would say, don't just stop it. Go find another thing. Like We don't give up because the car we drive, we don't like. We just find another car when we have the money to do so. If we don't like the shirt, we put on a different shirt. So don't stop medications, men or women, without first having that conversation with the person who's prescribed the medication Try to understand the why, what it is that is going on, and then a path forward that achieves a mutually agreeable destination, control of whatever it is, and avoidance of those side effects that are getting in the way of getting your blood pressure, your blood glucose, your weight or your cholesterol under control.
0: Thank you. I'm sure someone who's listening has, has learned quite a few new techniques on how to live a healthy life. Dr. Eduardo Sanchez, thank you so much for being on the Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. I am so thrilled that you were able to spend this time with us.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Ask me back. I'll be back if I you I will ask. do that.
0: Oh yes, thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening to the Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley. And that concludes another installment of Healthcare Chat. For all upcoming and previous episodes, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button and you'll always be notified when a new podcast is published. Until next time, thank you again for listening to Healthcare Chat with Joyce Tapley.